thousands of Facebook messages, everything that you can imagine, every type of platform, a whole tinderbox of, of people wanting me to stand. But I can assure you, Brian, that um, my wife certainly didn't support it. I didn't support it, and it took me a number of weeks to decide that that I would actually stand up for something so important. If you don't know who the New Zealand Public Party are, this is the party that Jamie Lee Ross has officially hooked up with. Uh, This is also the party calling COVID a plandemic, which is to say that they believe COVID is the result of a global agenda of state control. Uh, Their policies include questioning 5G, questioning vaccinations and questioning fluoridation. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan. And today on The Detail, new revelations regarding one of the most controversial figures in New Zealand's political landscape. Billy Takahika. Billy TK Jr. Billy Takahika, tēnā koutou. Billy Takahika. Billy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, brother? When somebody has that much traction, we think it's a useful investment of our time to have a look at the messenger as opposed to the messages. But in platforming a conspiracy theorist, are we simply pouring kerosene onto the fire? Some people argue that you shouldn't give people like that a platform. Well, guess what? He has a platform, right? He has a massive platform. And with advanced NZ languishing in the polls, what is Billy Tekahika's end game? One woman who worked closely with him speaks of his idea of buying a lot of land, building a fortress, setting up a place where people can come and be with him, live with him, when he speaks about the end of the world coming. Paula Penfold is a journalist with the Stuff Circuit investigative team. Yesterday, Stuff released a 47-minute documentary raising questions about some things Billy Tekahika Jr. has been telling his supporters over the past few months. The investigation looks at claims Tekahika has made about his army record, his time in police college, his business practices and treatment of workers, remarks he's made about Jewish conspiracies and his lifestyle, including his relationship with alcohol and treatment of women. I asked Paula to go through what that uncovered on these points, one by one, beginning with his time in the army. So in public, he speaks a lot about his military record, and he gives an impression of what he did in the army that we wanted to check. And then I joined the army because I wanted to be an SAS soldier myself, especially a super soldier. So I trained up to, uh, to do that, became as fit as a fiddle. And then while I was doing that, um, I, I did all of the three introductory courses to uh, enter the New Zealand Military Intelligence Corps. And I did those, and that is what gave me the discipline to be able to research and study the topics that we're talking about tonight. From there, I, um, I wanted to go into the New Zealand Military Intelligence Corps, and, and they said to me, you're going to be a great guy to go to East Timor. You'll be able to blend in and, and fuck a whanaungatanga with them, you know, family bit of, you know, you know, got, got the put of the chingy eyes myself and, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be all good. He mentions things like his SAS connections, but he hasn't actually claimed to, you know, have been an SAS soldier. He does talk about having trained to become an SAS soldier because he was interested in doing that. So he's quite careful with his language, but the overall impression is, was worth looking at. Uh, we got hold of a couple of useful documents. One was his official statement of service from the New Zealand Defence Force, and the other is his own CV, where he describes, obviously, his employment history. And they don't match up. He spent 17 months in the Army as a private in the Logistics Corps. 
he didn't do... It's an interesting thing because soldiers sometimes speak of tours of duty and so... In our interview with him, he argued that he can legitimately use the term tour of duty with the intelligence corps or the military police because that's how soldiers speak. But it's not an official use of the term tour of duty. So I think in the interview with him, I called that a cute use. So that's kind of by the by in the way. It's almost semantics. But I think the most interesting thing about that is that on his CV, he adds an extra year to his uh, time in the army. And when he'd only served 17 months, that seemed to us to be quite a significant exaggeration. Tekahika also claims he went to police college and sailed through the selection process as a meritorious candidate, but before graduating wanted to clear up a misunderstanding by two of his recruiters. Tekahika had been arrested for cannabis possession at the age of 16 and said his recruiters hadn't recorded this. He claims that once he came clean, he was given the choice of keeping this under wraps or resigning. And he says he resigned without question as a principal. When he speaks publicly about what led to his departure from police college, he says that he went to his superiors and said, I'm concerned about a thing that happened in my recruitment process. I want to bring it to your attention. That's not what our sources tell us. And so when we put what our sources told us to Mr Takahika in the interview, he confirmed that our sources were right. Uh, He has explanations for that, but he ended up admitting that what he said specifically in his first speech as leader of the New Zealand Public Party about his time in the police college was not the full truth. He said, I think, something along the lines of, I feel I um, revealed the right amount of truth at the right time. Mm. And he also, again, uh, extended the length of time on his CV that he spent in the police, called it a full-time tour of duty, when, for one thing, that's not a term that you use in the police, but also he was there for uh, three or three and a half months of a five-month police college course, which he didn't graduate. Billy Takahika Jr. runs a, a music promotion business, I think, and this was another thread that you you, you pulled out. What's the story there? Uh, he's been a musician for a long time. He's a renowned uh, musician. His father, Billy Takahika Sr., as you'll know, is also a, a, a legendary musician. And so uh, Billy Takahika Jr. has been playing around the traps for a long time and then moved into music promotion, festival promotion, organising gigs. And... I guess there's two aspects to that. One is complaints that had come our way around his financial management of those things. And we have numerous reports of his either not paying or underpaying or reneging on details to pay for things like accommodation for musicians and people in the wider music industry. Now, he he sparks up significantly to those allegations. He denies them and he says that he has become a target uh, since he went into politics. But interestingly, some of the concerns that we've had about financial management and paying people, as he'd promised, come from Australian musicians who didn't know that he was in politics. The other thing that I think is important to acknowledge is that it's been a really difficult investigation, this one, in the respect that for every person that you see on camera in this documentary, there are countless other individuals who we've spoken to off camera to confirm 
uh, what we're reporting. And it was difficult to get people to appear on camera Lots for this. Lots of people had their identities protected. They did. And there are numerous reasons for that. But one is that some of them have already experienced really nasty attacks from Mr Takahika's followers on Facebook particularly. Digital, so online attacks. The, online attacks. There hasn't been any physical violence. There hasn't been of. any. Sorry, thank you for the clarification. No physical attacks, but really, really vicious online attacks. And so uh, people have been reluctant to appear. So I make that point because whilst on camera you'll see a certain number of people, of course all of that's been verified uh, off camera by many others. Takahika has also been filmed delivering speeches which would seem to support conspiracy theories about Jewish people secretly controlling the banking world. They, they killed Jesus, but that doesn't mean I hate Jews and that God hates Jews, right? They have the same access to salvation. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. Here's Jewish community leader Yaakov Brown from Stuff's documentary. He insinuated that a rich cabal of Jews controlled the world banking system, and that the state of Israel was complicit in that. Secondly, he said something explicit. He said Baron Rothschild was a Satanist. That statement is a very common conspiracy lie based on misinformation. It usually goes on to infer that the Rothschild family are somehow connected to this conspiracy of rich Jews who control the world. People in the Jewish community and sociologists who've looked at it uh, say it's offensive, it's anti-Semitic. He might not understand or realise that it's anti-Semitic, but it has caused uh, great offence, and so we wanted to have a look at that. Unfortunately, of the several aspects that are within the documentary, we didn't get to put all of them to him in the interview because he left, and that's one of them. So he didn't respond in our interview to those claims that he's an anti-Semite. He has, however, since gone on Facebook to speak to his people directly to say that he's not. And the fifth area is, well, talking a bit about his lifestyle, I suppose you would say. This is around, I guess, the hypocrisy between the lifestyle that many people say that he has lived and his attitudes towards towards women in particular and the image of himself that he portrays as a God-fearing and, and pious kind of man. Is that right? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And that's precisely why it's in the public interest, I think. When you are campaigning on transparency, accountability, truth, and as a part of your campaigning, you frequently reference your faith and your role as a father and husband and family man, then yes, how you live your life is open for scrutiny, we felt. And so many of the people we spoke to in the course of making this documentary raised concerns particularly about his attitude towards women, the way that he speaks of them, an allegation which was confirmed by the woman of him groping a woman, other allegations of the way that he speaks sexually about women. And associated with that, as one person described it, wannabe TV rock star lifestyle, is the issue of drug taking. I mean, he confirms himself that he's smoked 
cannabis. This issue was raised within the past year, though, this observation about the way that he talks about women and about smoking pot and, uh, I think, to quote one singer, drinking his weight and things is behaviour witnessed in the past year. Yeah, it's not an historic. That's right. Why is this documentary a good use of your time? Like, what does it add to the, you know, reservoir of public knowledge? Mm, That's a really good question. Uh, Because, you know, one argument might be that they're only polling around 1%, so why does it matter? I think why it matters is because two things. One is that his influence is not necessarily directly political, if you like. He has had nearly 4 million video views over the past two months. People are watching, hearing, listening to his messages, and some of those messages are wrong and have been debunked, the claims that he makes about coronavirus, for one thing. And so when somebody has that much traction, we think it's a useful investment of our time to have a look at the messenger as opposed to the messages. Other journalists, David Farrier, for instance, and David Fisher from The Herald, have done some really good work looking specifically at the conspiracy theories that he peddles, where they've come from and what they actually mean and why they're wrong. But we thought it was important to look at the messenger rather than the messages to see whether... The person who is who has all of these people believing what he's saying is speaking the truth about himself. I mean, in this documentary, you have treated him like a like a legitimate like a like a politician, mm-hmm. you know, like a real politician who's standing for office. Mm-hmm. You know, by treating him that way, it sort of almost almost legitimizes him. You know, like like the guy thinks COVID nineteen is a global hoax. Who cares if he spent eighteen months in the army or two years in the army? You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. People think that you shouldn't give... Some people argue that you shouldn't give people like that a platform. Well, guess what? He has a platform, right? He has a massive platform. And I think it's a really old-fashioned way to look at it, to treat it purely politically. Because, again, while he might not register directly in the polls, and the polls indicate that he might not gain a seat in Parliament, he has an audience anyway. He's influencing people anyway. They're spending money on his party, and they're taking actions based on what he says. There's another element to it that's uh, spoken about briefly in the story, which is that people who know him speak of politics not being his end game. He wants an influence that is wider and longer than politics. And so I think that politics is but one aspect of this person. What do people think his end game is? One woman who worked closely with him speaks of his idea of buying a lot of land and setting up a place, building a fortress, setting up a place where people can come and be with him, live with him, when he speaks about the end of the world coming. Um, I don't know. You can infer from that what his end game might be. I didn't get a chance to ask him, unfortunately. But people who know him don't think that it's about a seat in the beehive. They think that he wants to have his own following in whatever sphere. When you look at the things that Billy TK sort of preaches, some of his beliefs didn't necessarily seem to be motivated by philosophy 
or necessarily even malice. It's almost like he sort of, you know, just took his hand and stuck it into the advanced NZ conspiracy lucky dip and mm-hmm. has just pulled out a whole bunch of things. Do you know what I, I mean? Do. I do. Like, I do know what you're like, saying. Does there seem to be any kind of, you know, continuity or, 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 or linearness to his philosophies and the things that he spouts from your point of view? It's a inter- really interesting question, and some of the research around conspiracy theories that's coming out now suggests that if you believe one, you're likely to believe many more than one. Mm. And so I wonder if that's what we're seeing here, is that you, you know, on one level they make sense to people. But I think we need to be really careful about how we discuss that, because... Mm. One of the people that we spoke to is a guy called Caleb Kane, who has gone public in the New York Times originally about his own radicalization via YouTube into becoming, you know, a white supremacist. But he de-radicalized himself. And so I, I sought advice from him, really, about how do you actually get people who hate mainstream media, which is what we are, who think that we are evil, and who think that we lie, how do you get them to hear or see what we think they should see? And he said the first thing is you need to understand that there's a context for why they're believing these conspiracy theories, and it's because they're seeking an explanation for all of the disorder around them, and somehow they're making sense, and people like Billy Takahika are making sense to them. And so that's why... They're believing them. The first thing you need to do is not dismiss them, uh, which I think is a really important message. Billy's more fervent supporters, even if they see this documentary, they will find a way to dismiss it. They might well accuse you of going out and looking for this. Right. um, And say, you know, if you turn the microscope on anybody, you can come up with something. What do you say to them? Like, who is this for? (laughs) Mm, It's for... um, Who is this for? I think initially when we started making this documentary, we wondered whether if you set out a kind of logical and reasoned account of the fact that the person who they are following, their leader who espouses, you know, campaigns on transparency and accountability and truth, if you set out a logical account of how that person some of the things that that person says about themselves don't stack up with what others say. And, and and maybe if you turned the microscope on anyone, you could find some of this stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that we turned up on Billy Takahika. And we didn't set out on a campaign to discredit him, which is what he says. No, no, we just wanted to examine what he says about himself. And it's important when somebody's campaigning on the truth that they're telling the truth themselves. People who believe these conspiracy theories can be hard to get to. This is about the idea of bubbles, right? And mm-hmm. if you live within a bubble and nothing sort of penetrates that bubble, you can do so. You can do so quite sort of happily. You talked in your written piece about the idea that maybe even if this won't go directly to people who subscribe to these things, it could cause an indirect yes. way of getting to them. I think it's around presenting the facts to people who haven't necessarily made up their minds about who this person is. When you present the facts around the fact that they may have been deceived about who this leader is, then maybe they might start to see that they should be looking at things a little more critically. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform 
And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Paula Penfold. Matewa. <laughs>